rest of us are going to be continuing the great escape. All right. Last week in our message, the instructions of the Lord, we witnessed the mercy, uh, power, and protection of the Lord as he gave specific and prophetic instructions to the Israelites on how they could escape his judgment and walk in his blessings. Revealing to us the incredible depth and supernatural origin of the Bible, the Lord at the same time was instructing all of humanity throughout time of how we could claim this same deliverance for ourselves and walk in his blessings. This morning, we will get a close-up look at, the judge, at God's judgment as death claims the firstborn of those who would not follow his instructions, as well as see how God not only delivers on his promises, but exceeds them in order to bless his children. Our message, which is titled today, Destruction or Deliverance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today, and we thank you, God, for this opportunity to gather as a body, Lord, that we might receive from you what you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, thousands of years ago this was penned, that we might learn from it today and apply it in our physical world, uh, God, and it's just as applicable now as it was then. Thank you for the power of the Word. Thank you for the Spirit that dwells within us. Lord, I pray that you help us to be knit together around it today. Lord, give us what we need. I know that I'm asking you, Lord, to, to speak to me, and Lord, I'm now asking you, Lord, that you will please speak through me, that my words may not be the ones that I would choose, but the very ones that you would give me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, now, where we're going to pick back up, when we get up here in, in Exodus, we're going to be in chapter number 12. We're going to start in verse number 29. What we're going to see here is they have followed the instructions of the Lord. The Israelites at this point in time, they are in their homes. They have made the sacrifice. They put the blood over the lintel and the posts. And so now, as we pick up in 29, they have followed those instructions. Verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, and under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Those that did not hearken to the instructions of the Lord, right? They're going to see their hopes and their dreams and their firstborn children come crashing down. This is going to be an awful, awful night. Pharaoh, if you consider from his perspective, he's seeing his heir. It says the one is sitting upon his throne, his heir, his dynasty, his dreams of the future are literally being destroyed right before his eyes. He will be a broken man. He will be a broken ruler. He'll be a broken father. And also, we know he's going to be a broken God, because guess what? They considered him to be a God. He is broken at this point. And look at this. Isn't it amazing when we consider the fact that how many people have got to reach a point of such destruction and face such adversity before they'll even really even recognize that God is there? There are so many folks that fight it and fight it and fight it, that, that pride that drives them. Many of us may have actually known people or perhaps been this person at some point in our life. And adversity was the very thing that came into our life that forced us to a point where we were willing to, re to realize that God was there. Verse 30, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. God shows yet again he keeps his word and he fulfills his promises. How sad that it takes something so horrible to grip the heart of Pharaoh. Unfortunately, because of the stubbornness of many, it's not until these circumstances get to this extreme that they will let go of their pride and submit to him. Verse 31, And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel. Go serve the Lord, as he had said. So we're seeing Exodus 3, which God predicted. He predicted this is what's going to happen in verse 7, chapter of Exodus chapter 3, verse number 7. God said this, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. And when we first went through this, I didn't make a point of this, but this really stood out to me this week when he says, I know their sorrow. 
Remember we talked about the fact that time is irrelevant to God, right? He's not wrapped up the way we are. Many times you'll see in a scripture, he'll be talking about the past, the present, and the future all at the same time, right? He sees it as a finished picture. Well, you and I are on a timeline we've got to progress through. And what we see here is he says that I know their sorrows. How does he know their sorrows? Isaiah 53, 3 says this, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not it's as if our timeline is a book right God says I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end he says I'm the beginning in the book and I'm the end of the book this thing is done I've completed the whole deal and what happens with us is we live on the pages and we progress, page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So when he's talking about being acquainted with their sorrows, he's saying, look, when I was on that cross and I, when I suffered on this earth, I suffered the sorrows. So when I know you're sorrowing, I know that pain and I feel it with you and I care. It is incredible as we study the scriptures and we realize the fact that so many of us, we're wrapped up in this point to point thing. And God says, look, I got it all. I see everything. That's the thing about omniscience, about omnipotence. God knows everything. And we see through this. Even in his first contact, back in this, because whenever you see that in, in Exodus 3, that's the burning bush, man. And he's pointing to the cross there. He's pointing to his sacrifice. The deliverance of the Hebrews in the present and the deliverance of humanity in the future. Verse 8, and this is Exodus 3, 8. And he says, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land unto a, land, unto a good land and a large and to a, lo- a land full, flowing with milk and honey. He's promised that promised land is awaiting. Look at this in Romans 8.18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, this is Paul talking about as a Christian. He says, he says I, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Old Testament, New Testament, guess what? They're all connected. It's all telling the exact same story. This is a deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. And guess what? You and I are delivering from the bondage of sin. It is a picture that we look from the past to the future, a picture of what we see, and all made possible through the sacrifice of a spotless lamb. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 7 says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. Uh, he was, he was uh, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, right? We saw that picture where they did it the night before when they followed the instructions, a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, and he opened not his mouth. God's plan to deliverance for the Israelites is taking effect as we speak. They're inside the home, and God is coming through. While at the same time we can see their deliverance, we can also see our story in it as well as we look into the scriptures, which is the most beautiful thing about the Bible. The more you study, the more things are revealed to you. The more it starts to open up to you and you're like, whoa, it's unreal. Things you've read sometimes, you read it again and again and again and again and go like, I got it, I got it, I got it. And all of a sudden one day you go, where did that come from? How did that get in there? I've never seen that before. And all of a sudden that leads you to something else. And you're like, this realization of what's actually going, this supernatural book opens up to you and God reveals to us the deep things of God, which are revealed through the spirit of God. Verse 32, also take your flocks and your herds as as you had said and be gone. Look at this last thing he says, and bless me also. Remember what God said to Moses uh, back at Exodus 11, 1, he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. 
when he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. He says, look, when it comes time, he's going to want you to go. and They're going to push you out the door. And sure enough, that's what we see going on right here. And sadly, only in the brokenness of Pharaoh is he able to reach this point in his life. And there are people that may have been us, man. It takes a point of brokenness before we'll finally turn to the Lord. Amen. Right? Yeah. But the good news is, in that brokenness, he's always there. He's always there. Always there. And look at this. He says, and bless me also. How sad. Because remember, there's been a cry. He woke up. He's seen his firstborn dead. He's living with the sorrow of that moment. He calls him in and says, look, get out of here. Go. But bless me also. How sad that he's at this point of such loss that he finally realizes that God's there for him too. Even though he doesn't deserve it. And guess what? That's us. That's grace. That's mercy. <laughs> Verse 33. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we, all, we be all dead men. Remember what Moses said as directed by God in Exodus 11.8. Moses said this, And all these thy servants shall come down unto me. When he, this is in, he's in the throne room before Pharaoh. And he says, And they shall bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out. And all the people that were with that followed thee. They're saying, look, man, get them out of here. Bottom line is here, this very thing is happening. Verse 34, and the people took their dough, their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being uh, bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. I mean, it's kind of like this. Hey, baby, grab your stuff. We got to go. We got to get out of here. I mean, honey, I don't care. Just get it rolled up in some drapes. Let's just go. Get the, get the drapes. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I mean, they're like, because remember what God told him. He said, look, you need to have your cane. You need to have your staff in your hand. You need to have your shoes on your feet. You need to be dressed and ready because guess what? When it's time, you're going to need to go, right? And now it's, it's become urgent. They're going, get out, get out, get out. So here they go. They're leaving. And verse number 35, it says, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. Remember last week in the instructions of the Lord, right? God told him, he said, look, they're going to gather from them. I'm going to speak to their hearts. They're going to be ready and willing to give you gold and give you silver and give you raiment because we know in the future when they're in the wilderness, they're going to have to build a tabernacle. They're going to need all those supplies. So God's providing that to them even now. And guess what? They don't, don't even know it. They're just going, man, we're rich. Look at all the gold. Woohoo!" They have no clue what it's for. Verse 36. And the Lord gave the, the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Right? So not only is he providing a pathway of deliverance in this, this situation, but he's making provision for what's ahead. Obviously, the Lord, the Lord knows what's going to be required. They don't have a clue, but in this moment, he's going, look, I'm giving you what you're going to need. And when I thought about this, consider this. Isn't it possible that for the things we're going to go through in life, God has already prepared us, Amen. right? Amen. Think about it. The emotional strength we may need for loss, yes. but I could never survive. I would never be able to make this. I could never do this. If this person, if something happened here, I could never do it. Yet God gives them the strength to be able to come through it Amen. and provide for them. But in their own thoughts, they think, I, don't, I could never do this. The resources maybe to provide for a need that they're going to have. The support that they're going to need to lean on in tough times already in their lives. The foundation of faith that they'll cling to when moments are dark. Or even the assurance of their salvation, their assurance of heaven, based upon the relationship they have with Christ when they face death. God's made provision for us 
He's made provision for us. He makes a way. And it made me think of this song. This is the song we're going to sing. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. And the words are on the thing. I'm going to put mine right here. And I thought, you know what? Let's sing these words together to the very best of our ability. They're not judging anybody. That's not a place of judgment. No, no, no. Because we're not going to judge our... <laughs> it's not American Idol. We're going to do our very best. But let's just sing this together to honor the Lord and consider who He is. Ready? God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to His side. With love and strength for each new day, He will make a way. He will make a way. Isn't that, you guys did pretty good. <laughs> nicely done, nicely done. All right, we'll work on another one later. But <laughs> the point is this, God will make a way. And so many times when we don't believe there's a way, we look in the wilderness and we go, there's just no way. There's no way I could do this. And God says, you know what? You don't realize that I've already fortified you for what you're going to need, right? And you're going to see how he did that even in the bread, which is pretty, pretty cool. All right. Now, it says here in verse number 37, it says, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot and were, were, that were men beside children. It's estimated when they go through, kind of all try to figure out what it was. It's estimated around 2 million people is what they're estimating based upon children and, 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 and women. And then we also know there's going to be a mixed multitude in there as well. But if give you an idea. Idea. This, is, this is an image of where they would be. Now, this is where they would be in Goshen. Okay, this is Ramses is the, is the area. Goshen is the area, is the place where they actually live. And they're going to travel here to Succoth. And Succoth is just really across the border from them. And what it has, there was, a very, there was a lot of Philistines in that lower part down there. And what we found is this is actually kind of a place where they used to actually, the Egyptian army used to gather. And then, see, Moses would have already known this because guess what? He was a general in the military. And he would have known where they would have had a place that they could get that many people in one place. So they go across. And in that first day, they travel to Succoth. It's about a day's journey, okay? That gives you a little bit of perspective. And what's really neat in Psalm 105, verse 37, we get a little tidbit, a little detail that God gives us, which is another thing about provision. It says here in verse 30, uh, 105, 37, He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. So not only did he provide them what they needed, but he gave them the physical strength Amen. to do it. Amen. There's not one person in that entire group that cannot walk. No one will be left behind. God's awesome, man. I'm just telling you. Amen. Woo. All right. <clears throat> Verse 38. And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds and every much cattle. So among them, there were other people that were not Jews. They were Gentiles that were mixed in there. They would be Egyptians or whoever else wanted to leave because of what was going on with the plagues. Verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out. Of, notice the word because. It wasn't leavened because they chose. It was because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither they had prepared for themselves any victuals. So they did not have an opportunity to take the leaven and add it to the bread and grow the bread or raise to, to, to bake the bread they would normally bread, bake. 
So what happened was the, the, the bread was an unleavened bread. It would not rise. We know that leaven is a picture of sin. That unleavened bread was something God would require of them for seven days. And he said, look, this is a picture of righteousness, right? So we look at this. He literally, God provides it. Remember, we saw that, right? And he says, now he's, I said, now he's facilitating them, keeping the requirements of eating the unleavened bread by not allowing them an opportunity to add the leaven. He knew they knew, he was, that was a requirement he was going to place upon them. And instead of even allowing them a chance to mess up, he makes sure that they can't even leaven the bread. Consider this. Because the children of Israel have been in, such, in this pagan land and have been influenced by its culture, we see an example of the links that God will go to in order to aid them in following his commandments. This is a picture of his patience and his love and his grace. Bottom line is, check this out, verse number 40. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. As if God includes this detail to say, look, you know what? I'm going to cut them a break. I'm asking them to follow me, but you know what? They're way out of practice. It's been 430 years. They've been surrounded with all this pagan culture. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that they keep what I tell them to do. I'm going to protect them from themselves. Right? Many of us, in hindsight, can probably look back in our lives, and we can recognize where God stepped in and protected us from our own weakness. Right? Our flesh is weak, and we go, you know what? Man, I'm prone to this. I'm prone to this. And man, I'm going to fall right back in that same old mess. And God intervenes. Sometimes it's something dramatic, man, like illness, right? Oh, you get sick, you can't do it. Car, car crash, who knows? We can all look back and go, man, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. You know, that's when the fire burst into the stove, and I was right in the middle of Right? Things like that. But it could be something as subtle as, you know, a distraction. Right? You're about to click on something you should click on. All of a sudden, huh? Right? And you go, man, what's that dog barking for? God's going, I just saved your butt. <laughs> I'm watching out for you. Pay attention. Right? So it's all these little instances like that. And God's trying to help them to keep what he's asked of them. That's his willingness to go to those links. Shows us how much he loves us and how much he loves them. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Verse 41. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. The same day that death angel came through, very much as soon as that was done, they're on the road. Verse 42. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for, it says, bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Okay? That's an important thing to remember. This observance of this celebration of the Passover is to celebrate the fact of bringing them out of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. He says, look, this is something you're not to forget. This Passover is to remember the way that God brought you out of Egypt. The Jewish people are never to forget what God did for them and how he did it. The Passover and the celebration of it were a picture pointing the Jews to their Messiah. That's what it's, the entire thing is pointing them to the Messiah. Sadly, Jesus Christ, even after he came and fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies of what it was he was to do, even though all those are fulfilled, there are still Jews then and now that reject him. They do not see him as the Messiah. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. They're waiting with bated breath thinking he's going to come as this conquering king because he can never have come in this servant form, in this meager form. He's our king. They deny Christ and his sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
Verse 43, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. This keeping of the Passover was for the Israelites, is what he's telling them. As Christians, we don't celebrate the picture of the Messiah, right, which is in the Passover. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? And the reason why we do that is we're celebrating the man. We're not celebrating the picture of his coming. We're celebrating the fact that he has arrived. In contrast to the Passover, which simply is literally pointing them to the deliverance of the Jews from Egypt. And that literally, there's over 200 scriptures that make that point in the Bible. We observe it as a celebration of his life. And Jesus did something radical. This is interesting because his very last Passover meal, he radically changed what they would have done in the celebration. Notice what he does. He takes where they would be talking about the sacrifice, which was a picture of what was to come. He puts himself in that role. Listen to what he says himself, Matthew 26, 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Never before in a Passover meal had that ever been said. He said, look, this is a realization of what you've been celebrating all this time, what you guys have been studying and talking about. This is it. You're experiencing it right now. And he said, and he, and he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. What he's saying is that we aren't here to celebrate the Messiah who is to come. We are to celebrate the one that stands before you right now. Amen. Me. Amen. Verse 44. But every man's servant that is, brought for, that is bought for money, when thou, hast un, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. What he's saying is those that convert to Judaism, they can receive the Passover. Then it says here, a foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. Again, no non-Jew is going to eat this Passover. Verse 46, in one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth out of the flesh or abroad out of the house. Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. So this is to be an intimate sacrifice. This is something they're going to do in their home. They're not going to walk around and go, hey, we got some leftovers. That's not what this is about, right? So check this out. And in that last part, it says here, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. Psalm 3420 tells us this. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Okay. Remember, God is not shackled to time. He's given that qualifier for a reason. Now, 1,040 years later, Jesus Christ will be on the cross. 1,040 years. But in Psalm 3420, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now check this out in John 19, verses 30 through 36. In John's account, it says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That was the very final living prophecy that Jesus had to fulfill when he was alive, was to take that vinegar, and as soon as he took the vinegar, that was the last prophecy. He took his last breath. That was it. Now, check out what happens next. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross of the Sabbath, for that Sabbath day was on high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and then they might be taken away. The reason they break their legs, as long as their legs were intact, they could hold themselves up so they could get a breath of air. That push-up like that would allow them to fill their lungs, but when all that weight comes down, you can't breathe. So when most people died on the cross, they died from asphyxiation, okay? So what's happening here is he's saying, break their legs so they can't hold themselves up. Go ahead and do this. Verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. Notice, they were hung on either side of him. They didn't go in line. One, two, three. They went one, three, and they circled back. It says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they break not his legs. 
But one of the soldiers with a spear, this is not the way they were supposed to do it. They're supposed to break the legs. That was, that was, that was a standard practice. This soldier breaks protocol. This soldier with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record. This is John speaking of himself. And his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith truth that ye might believe. John says, look, I'm going to tell you this. If you don't already believe all the things that I've told you, here's another detail just to throw in there to prove you that this guy, even in his death, is fulfilling prophecy. And look what he says in verse 36. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. Referencing 1,040 years before then talking about that very thing. The past, the present, the future, all those things are irrelevant to God. He's functioning in all of them simultaneously. And this is verse 47. And, the congreg and all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. God keeps making this point again and again. God is reaffirming that this ordinance is for them. Verse 48. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. And then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. This is not just talking about the physical circumcision, which is something that a physician would do. This is talking about the rabbinical ceremony that would have been followed, and what it was was a conversion into Judaism. You went from whatever faith you were to becoming a Jew. So they're talking about somebody becoming a naturalized Jew. God makes this very point, and this Passover is specifically for, the, for, the, for, the, um, for those birthed as Jews and those that convert. Verse 49, one law shall be to him that is home-born and, an unto, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. So this is basically, if you are a home-born Jew or if you are a naturalized Jew, you're going to keep the exact same laws. They're going to meet, everything's going to be exactly the same as if you were born in that land. The same expectation that God would have on the Jew that was born there is the same expectation he's going to have on this converted Jew as well. This is a picture of the grace and the acceptance that God will extend to the Gentile world after the coming of Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 18 and 19. For through him, talking about Christ, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Ephesians 3, 6 is that the Gentiles, that's us, should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. We become children of God through the sacrifice of Christ and our acceptance of that truth. Verse 50, thus did all the children of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. Remember back in verse 28 when we finished the last message, that was, that was the very last phrase that he said, and so did they. He said they were obedient. They did what God said they needed to do. And again, we see them being obedient. Obedient to follow God's command because there was an obedience. The Lord kept his promise to the children of Israel. And guess what? They went marching out of Egypt. Amen. Carrying the, the plunder of the Egyptians. The citizens giving not of what the government was giving, but their own resources. Gold and silver and raiment. So literally, the, 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 the Israelites are leaving with all their stuff and their, their troughs and all the stuff like that. And they've got gold and they've got all these things. And they're, they're walking out like this. Luckily, there was nobody that was feeble, right? They're all carried, able to carry, well, they carry all their, their, their plunder, right? So they've walked out of here. What we've seen through these plagues is we've seen a God that is faithful. Amen. We've seen him be faithful throughout every aspect of this. Faithful to listen, remember? I have heard the cry. I've heard it. Faithful to care, to be willing to intervene. Faithful to provide. Faithful to protect. Right? Faithful to forgive. 
and faithful to empower people that are just willing to believe. That's it. It's not a ceremony. It's not religious. It's not, it's not church membership. It's not anything special. It's just a matter of having faith. For by grace, he is saved through faith. Amen. Not of yourselves. It's not your lineage. It's not who you are. It's not the things you do. It's not the places you go. He says, I'm concerned about your heart. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. The heart. So God reaches out to us as he reached out to them. And he hears our cry. And he knows our suffering. And he cares. And all he's saying is, look, I want a relationship with you. And I'll do everything. I will provide everything in order to help that to happen. Everything's taken care of. All it takes is you be willing to believe. The people of our story were imperfect, fearful, flawed, sinful, broken, and downtrodden. That sounds like us, doesn't it? That's humanity. In the world's eyes, they had nothing going for them. And that may be very true. But they, not, they had control over one thing. Their ability to choose. They could make a choice. right? And each one of us, we have the exact same thing. Amen. We have an ability to choose. We have an opportunity to choose destruction or deliverance. Right? We, will, uh, we can live in obedience to the world and face what we all know to be the inevitable, which is destruction. You can chase this world. You can gain as much of this world as you want. You could have everything this world has to offer and still be just as empty and as broken as ever. You know when they say whoever dies with the most toys wins? Man, not in the afterlife. People on earth may be, and they may want what you want, what you got. But you know what's amazing? When you spend time around wealthy people or people that have been really, really successful, you know what they want to talk about? The Lord. They're curious because they want to know what it is they can't find in the world. Because you can be as famous as you want to be, but guess what? You're always going to feel like you just, there's somebody, there might be somebody out there that doesn't really like me. I might not be the most popular person. You can have all the money in the world and have every possible possession you could dream of. And to possessions, what happens to them when they're so excited when you first get them? And then they lose their luster. And eventually they just sit and collect dust. There is a fulfillment that comes from God that does not exist anywhere in this world. And what this world will offer us is a lie straight out of hell to draw us away from God, to take our attention off of Him, put our focus on the things of the world. And when you take that last breath and you open your eyes in hell, you go, if I'd have only known. But that's not an excuse we can make. Because guess what? God has made himself evident in his creation. Everywhere you go, man, you see the sunrise in the morning. Things that work in, this, in the reality of what we live in, they're not by accident. This system of the world does not work perfectly. It's this unbelievably intricate system of layers of life. It does not function by accident. Your body does not heal itself by accident. You're not able to reproduce by accident. We don't have air to breathe exactly the right amount we need to survive by accident. We don't have the amount of gravity that we have specifically by accident. The moon's not exactly as far as it needs to be to make the, the tides work by accident. All of these things work out. It's unbelievable. The fact that the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun, but guess what they do? They perfectly line up, and guess what? They're exactly the same size so that an eclipse can take place. That is not by accident. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 
choice to make. There's a choice to make. We can choose the world and end up in destruction. Or we can claim Christ. We can choose God and we can live in obedience to him and live in victory. Live in victory. No matter what the world says, I can be victorious. Because guess what? There is one, an author that was the beginning and the end. And I've read the end of the book, and guess what? I know who wins, and I know where at side I'm on. I know in, who, in, in whom I believe. We can look at the events of this story, and we can certainly see who God chooses. He made his choice. He wants humanity to be with him. But then it comes down to us, right? He's made his choice, but then we have to make ours, right? We can live with him as our Savior and our Lord and live for him. But we can throw all that away and face destruction. God's given us this amazing picture of salvation and the power of God through the Scripture. And we look in the Old Testament, it's a picture book of the New Testament. It shows us image after image after image after image of the beautiful heart of God and His desire to restore humanity to a relationship with Him. The question is, will we listen? The question is, will we learn? The question is, will we respond? Because when it comes down to it, God gave us free will for a reason. Without free will, there cannot be love. I can't order you to love me. You have to choose in order to love. And God says, look, I could command you and control you like a robot and make you say that you love me, but that's not love. I'm going to grant you free will, and then you get to choose. Will you choose me, or will you choose this world? We know, unfortunately, that many folks, the Bible says that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many, the way that, many shall go that way, but narrow is the way to salvation. Narrow is the way. And I pray that you have taken that path. If you haven't, you have that opportunity today because guess what? It just comes down to a choice. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing like that. Will I'm willing to believe because every I has been dotted and every T has been crossed. Jesus has done all the work on the cross and it comes down to us being willing to receive it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for the word. Thank you, Lord, for the pictures you show us in the book of Exodus. God, what we've seen already, we're just, we're just getting started. Thank you for what you've done in my heart and my life, God, through this. And Lord, I pray that you help us, each one, Lord, to be sold out. Lord, help us to realize this life, it's just so full of distractions and things that don't mean anything. And in the scheme of this life, God, if we will learn to love you and to live for you, we can experience a joy and a victory that is absolutely overwhelming. God, you allowed me to have a relationship with you almost 18 years ago. You established that relationship with me through that night when I called upon you and asked you to save me. And Lord, I would never dream of all that you've done in my life and the Lord, the joy that is in me. And God, I pray for those that are here. Lord, if they're Christians and God, they're, they're just struggling because you know what, they've suffered with some issues or maybe they've got problems, Lord, where they're, they're dealing with sin, whatever it is. God, help them to cast their care upon you, Lord. Father, that you'll carry it for them. You want to restore them, God, and you are God of forgiveness. Help us to be restored. But if you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't even know God. I know of him, but I don't know him. There's a big difference. There are plenty of religious people in this world that are going to open their eyes in hell when they die. And that's a sad reality. There are plenty of people that are trusting in 
their church membership. They're trusting in their belief. Hey, you can believe in God. You can believe that God is real. You can believe that He exists. But that does not mean that you have a relationship with Him. A relationship is established when we open our hearts to Him and we realize the fact that, you know what? I am the problem. My sin has divided me from God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. Every one of us has the same problem. It divides us from Him. But the beautiful thing is that God loves us, right? He loves us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wage, unfortunately, is the fact that we're, because of our sin, it will separate us from God. But Jesus made a way. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. With loving eyes, he looked from that cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loves you right where you are. If you're online, wherever you are, it's not a matter of a ceremony. It's a matter of faith. Matter of faith. And he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are promise words from God himself. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never called upon him, if you've never asked him to save you, truly meant it with your heart, not a prayer, not a ceremony, not something that happened to you, but something when you made a choice, because that's what it comes down to. It's a choice. Do I choose destruction or do I choose deliverance? Jesus died on the cross to offer you deliverance. Destruction is going to happen no matter what. The only way out of destruction is through a relationship with Him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would like to receive Him as your Savior, if you'd like to be certain that you've got a relationship with God, you want to have that, that walk with God, not just a matter of knowing who He is, but knowing Him personally, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And it's not the words of the prayer that are going to do anything for you. It's the intention of your heart. If you want God to save you, He will save you and He loves you right where you are. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and in your mind, we're talking to God, not talking to me, talking to God in your heart and mind. Reach out to Him by faith and repeat after me, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I've done things that have separated me from, from you and I'm sorry. I'm asking you with my whole heart to forgive me. God, not only forgive me, but Lord, help me have a relationship with you. I know that you are who you say that you are, that you died on the cross, and that you love me. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. By faith, I'm trusting that I'm going to be, that I'm your child and that God, as your child, I will see you one day in heaven. Thank you for saving me. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.